This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Um, I was going to go on to the next topic today, which would have been some points of Chinuch. Um, I instead mm-hmm. want to revisit, I guess, and talk a little bit about the topics of last time, which was Amunas Chachamim, Gedolim, etc. Before that, like I've done a few times before, whenever I come across an article of interest, especially about science, I want to share it. Um, I, uh, it's not, it's always out of order, but that's, you know, that the article came out recently and I read it. The point of this article is to, to understand that when scientists use different tools and they present it as pure fact, unless you know the mechanics of how the tool was used, you have to be very wary, very cautious. Um, now, this is an article out of Science News. Science News is a very respectable science magazine. It's a bi-weekly, a digest of, um, of uh, the Science News. It's, it's, it's as standard and mainstream as you can get. Now, the article, I will read a little bit of it and uh, try to talk about a drop. The 18-inch long Atlantic salmon lay perfectly still for its brain scan. Emotional pictures, a triumphant young girl just out of a somersault, a distressed waiter who had just dropped a plate, flashed in front of the fish as a scientist read the standard instruction script aloud. The machine clunked and whirred, capturing minute changes in the salmon's brain as it assessed the images. Millions of data points capturing the fluctuations in brain activity streamed into a powerful computer which performed Herculean number crunching, sorting out which data to pay attention to and which to ignore. By the end of the experiment, neuroscientist Craig Bennett and his colleagues at Dartmouth College could clearly discern in the scan of the salmon's brain a beautiful red-hot area of activity that lit up during emotional scenes. So here you have a salmon. Um, the one in News Square was a cop. This guy's a salmon, so I guess he's, <laughs> he's more emotional. The, the cop was he talked about tshuva. They flashed cards of different activities and the thing, and, and you could see the brain activity. An Atlantic salmon that responded to human emotions would have been an astounding discovery, guaranteeing the publication at top-tier journal and a life of scientific glory for the researchers. Except for one thing, the fish was dead. Now, the article goes on to explain, it was a lead article actually, and what it does is, it explains that the technique used to discern this activity is called a functional MRI, fMRI. Now, um, a whole bunch of things come into play, the first thing you realize is A, it doesn't, an MRI can measure tissue, it's sort of an x-ray of tissue, but it it, it can't, it doesn't measure things that are moving, and especially the brain doesn't have kind of moving parts, so what it was measuring actually is an oxygen release from the blood, which is assumed to correlate, it actually doesn't measure it completely, but it measures pieces, and you've got to work out a statistical formula 
for what's considered random, what's not considered random, and the 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 um, the, the um, and exactly what activities happen in neurons is very very difficult, and so on. And it goes through the articles quite lengthy. It's uh, seven eight pages here, and really really done well. The point is, rarely do you have in science a, a straight picture. Uh, even X-ray, um, an X-ray sometimes is as far the word black and white as can be. You have a bone broken in two, and that's that. And uh, the X-ray definitely shows your broken bone, and then you can make that statement. On the other hand, sometimes the X-ray will show you. Um, a distension of something. Something is actually just seems to be not in its place, and you're assuming it seems to be kind of curved instead of straight. And to a trained eye, the assumption is there's something pushing against it at a certain spot, <coughs> causing that distension. And it, it will be right many times, but you're already not standing on safe ground. Y you're, you're using uh, markers that need to be interpreted and you're building it on a lot of assumptions. And it goes through here that this functioning MRI device is controversial. Controversial amongst mainstream scientists because of the assumptions they're building and uh, the way it's measured and the statistics used and the, and the computer himself. The computer himself is determining based on algorithms you gave it which activities are statistically significant, which not, and then it paints a picture. So when Shaman shows you a picture of a a um, a brain of the of the salmon kind of uh, lighting up and you know as sort of pictures that's not emis all that's a a projection of based on assumptions this is what we see it's that all it's measuring is really certain oxygen releases and and we're building backwards it may be right it may be wrong but it's very different. Um, I wanted to mention it in terms of the, all of the dating, the carbon dating, etc., that we, we extrapolate backwards. It's very hard for someone who's not an expert, myself included, to really know um, how many assumptions are put into place, what is being measured. Um, you know, and the problem is no scientist or almost nobody goes from A to Z. You go to school, you study what's assumed as given, and you go a, a step further. I mean, great scientists have usually been people that repudiated the given and, and said, hey, you're giving an interpretation to a whole thing. Well, I've got a completely different interpretation that fits the facts plus. Um, you, need, you need to be very wary. Um, when you, you know, the problem is we have pictures of dinosaurs. We have movies of dinosaurs. And it, at the end of the day, it's an interpretation of material. It's an interpretation of bits and pieces. And there are valid ways to interpret it. But just understand that you're not seeing, um, when people say they found dinosaurs, you need to ask, what did they find exactly? Um, animals. Did they find animals? They find bits and pieces. They find bones. The bones are, are what does it look like when it's fleshed out? Um, can you accept what's there today? Can you use the carbon exchange as a valid um, as a valid measuring stick or not? We spoke about some of the things. I just reading this article, and the article says we're not out to knock fMRI, but we want to show some serious flaws in it, and it's both different assumptions. I wanted to share it. Um, as usual, it's it's just something that 
it's helpful when you you are presented with fact to be able to ask what level of fact is it? How much of it is rests on assumptions? How much of it is clearly visible to the senses, etc. Yes. Not to open up another can of worms, but I guess Rebbe would really make a distinction between science, which is predictive versus in the future and sort of working in airplane fly based yes. on technology yes. and you know lasers work. Well, well that's what we spoke last time. When science deals with the now, which means this piece of material under this amount of pressure will crack, science is, is factual because you can do it now in the lab and, and replicate it and that's it. But science says, when, I think I hate to use the word science as it was a god, when, when, when someone makes a statement that oxygen will burn and, under, and it will reach this temperature on, in this environment, you can try it and do it and it's done. When you speak about what happened, well, the question is, you talk about evidence, and what assumptions is the evidence resting on? And um, that's really the w what we need to distinguish, and that's why putting everything on the, the, the sweep of science is misleading in itself. Okay, um, let's go back to some of the points about Gdolim, Bastor, and so on. It, it is a, a very hot issue, and... I'd like to, uh, some of the points will retreat it, we'll be, we'll, we'll talk about again, but I, I guess just to try to get a little more structure and understanding. The, um, the, 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 the pr usually the problem starts that a young child is imbued with um, perspective and with facts that's fit a child. So a child may be imbued with the following issue. We listen to the Gdolim, because the Gdolim always have it right. They have Nevoah, they have Ruach HaKodesh, and story A, story B, story C, proving the Gdolim always know what's going to happen, and that's what we need to do. Um, it's a very, very oversimplified and possibly distorted and possibly wrong version of things. So while the Edsom idea of listening to your parents, your Rebbe, and so on, is right, but sometimes when you overdo it, um, you set yourself up for something that's wrong, and it forces a person later years either to become an Apikorus or a Pesi Yaman Choldava. Very, very difficult dilemma for people. The um, the the Chinuch when he speaks about Sanhedrin and why we need to listen to Sanhedrin and and the Vesna Godol and Anachirab Lahatos Ramban says this and the Chinuch says this they they point out two <coughs> things the first thing is because that's what Hakadosh Baruch wants and that's the right thing to do and it's it's something that can be translated into simple logic that you can't have Anarchy, if you want a, a nation to be a nation, you need to have one place where things get ruled on. So if a person did, by what the Sanhedrin said, he did right. Secondly, he adds, but, uh, you know, there's a certain which doesn't let make a mistake, and there's a It's a second reason. And it's very important to understand that the primary reason is the first reason, and the secondary reason is another dimension to it. 
Now, the problem is when we set up infallibility as the hallmark of Gedolim's decision, then we're setting ourselves for something that's wrong. And Sanhedrin can make a mistake. But are we doing right? A person, when a person has a, a, a question and he does follow the das of Gedolim Torah, he's doing the right thing. He went to look for the answer in the right place. And whether it turned out to be the right thing to do or not, but that's what a Kashbahu wants from him. So the first episode is not because they're infallible, and we'll see in a second, we need to qualify that as well. It's not that they're infallible, but it's the right thing to do. And just like we tell our kids, you should listen to your parents. Not because parents are infallible. Um, those of us who are parents know the secret, but it's the right thing to do. Yes, perhaps you want. Um, and the same thing, listening to to the ziknei ha'ir, the ziknei ha'ida, is the right thing. Um, a because itanaki otherwise. B, and this is a, a crucial part. They, if anyone should probably know best. And I did the right thing. So first of all, let's take infallibility off the table. Um, it's a question of right or wrong. Two. The areas in which this concept of listen to Gedolim applies are areas of moral value and judgment. And let's explain it. Um, what technique works best at teaching kids is the domain of educators, psychologists, people who have experience and knowledge in that field. But there's a second issue. Let's say we find that boys and girls together create a better learning environment, which it doesn't, but they're just, just using a muscle. The second area is, even though technically it creates a better learning environment, is it right to have the interaction of boys and girls? Or is it better not to have it even at the price of, 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 of having less learning? That's, that is a, a, a moral issue. That's a Torah issue. This is an issue that is very, very common in, in the following scenario. Let, let's, uh, again, I, I'm just going to touch on issues simply just to use as examples. I, it's not, not that I want to go into those issues. Let's say you have mass events, concerts of sorts, events of sorts that are from, in, from in the sense the, the people performing are, are from, the meat is glad kosher, um, you know, it's kind of uh, dressed up as very from style and so on. It will, it will be of benefit to people that are holding on at the edge. And there are many like that. People that's the choice in a pop concert or a religious concert. And this is a way to hold on to them. It will also drag down people higher up on the ladder that they dilute the Yiddishkeit with, with stuff that's kind of trashy. Which one do we go with? Do we say, listen, um, there's so many people out there that are hanging on by the skin of their teeth. We need to hold on to them even at the price of kind of diluting the general uh, stand, stature that, that people who are B'nai Torah and serious learners sh should, should, be, should, should, have the, should be, feel part of this stuff. Or no, we'll, we, we have to preserve what's good and what's right and make a very clear stand about it and exclude others. It's not a, an educational issue. It's not an issue, it, it's a moral issue. It's not even chachamim that, that you know, it, 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 it's, it's a moral issue of which is appropriate, 
to preserve with integrity that which is good and exact and perfect, or to open up to, to everyone. The, the answer that more people, we're going to lose people because of that, is not a proof. Because that's the question, not the proof. And, no, and who should answer that question? Well, the person whose viewpoint you feel close, most closely reflects the Torah's viewpoint. And that's a person that, A, is steeped in Torah, knowledgeable in Kol Chalket Torah, was most nefesh fit, and has, there's a sense that his personal agenda is Torah, to the best of our abilities. This is, this is what we have. So those are questions that need to be answered by Dolat Torah, not because they have the technical expertise in it, but at the end of the day, that question is a particular moral question. Let's, let's take a, a much simpler case. How to, how to do a certain medical treatment. It's an area that doctors should tell you. A doctor should tell you, will this cancer respond best to chemo? Will it respond to surgery? Will it respond to radiology? Um, if, if some Tom Kochum has a sixth sense about these things and magical powers, so be it. I, I, I just, I'm an amaretz in these things. I, just, I can't tell you. But many times, the question has other facets to it. Um, it, 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 it chemo w- will take a long time and will drain the whole family and wreck the family. Um, the person will have to go to Rari Yisurim, but he may live better with this. Um, there are other, other factors. The question stops becoming a medical issue and starts becoming an issue of the value of the family as a whole over this one yachid, the chances, is it chayisha, is it chay olam, um, you know, what, what, what are we talking about? There, the, 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 the decision of a gadol as a gadol b'torah and as a pikeach comes into play. Uh, a, a doctor has no room and there's no mokum. It's not a medical issue. So there's, there's the medical issue of what are the probable courses of the different treatments and then there's also um, the moral issue and and a and and person needs to have both pieces in order to ask a shayla the way he should and, and so on. So the first thing is we're not looking for infallibility, we're looking for right. What's the right thing to do and so on? There's another point, and that's something that um, is, is, is um, in, it's seen more readily in the, in the uh, um, I guess, in, in the scope of history. When Rebaran Kotler came to America, and he, um, and he pushed his version of, of learning, as opposed to YU, which was the only real model, Torvedas in some way, as, as opposed to only as a model, it was considered to be very stupid. That best he would attract a half a dozen or a dozen or two dozen young men and neglect, Yeshiva uh, University serviced thousands of people who were able to receive a reasonable, uh, um, you know, a Jewish education, um, be from, um, at, you know, at a reasonable level and so on, and it, it was seen as being very stubborn and out of touch with reality. Fast forward seven years later, um, Rebaran seems to be uh, right, um, producing a very powerful uh, center of, of Yiddishkeit has resulted, A, in, 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 in a tremendous growth of the, from a Kehillah because, because committed people have large families, give them a chinuch, imbue them with chinuch, 
it has affected the more modern community raising their standards. It has produced tons of people who are always, always taken care of and so on and so forth. So if somebody's lens would have been focused on, on five years between 1950 and 1955, he would have said, um, Rabban's wrong. And even though he's wrong, even though he was wrong, even if, he, even if it would have been wrong on the practical level, he might have been right, I mean, he was right on the, on the uh, Torah value level. But 60 years ahead, 70 years ahead, um, it's a whole different world. The same thing in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, the, the Mizrahi movement pushed for a compromise with the Zionist movement out of a sense of reality. You know, you have to be realistic. They have hospitals, they have farms, they have everything. Um, the Haredi world resisted it, stood outside of it, and at the end of the day, even from a historical um, kind of uh, practical point of view, it certainly was very successful, despite the fact that logic didn't make any sense. So in the long term, um, does it lead to the to, 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 to right there? We've seen many times, yes, um, that the split off in Germany and in Hungary from the reform movement, there were many people in the middle, reasonable, <coughs> rational, weighted people who said, you can't split apart, you're going to capsize, they're going to capsize, you don't have the resources to make it work, you're destroying the Yiddishkeit, and in both places, the, the, the separation was for the benefit. So in the longer historical sweep, it's still not very clear. Um, you can't just say they were wrong because of A, because of B, because of C. Um, the, 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 um, so even if they are valuable in the short term, and again, they are valuable, there's no, there's no infallible, but I'm saying in terms of hashkocha, like Ramban says, or Kinezah scale, if you look past the immediate moment, a lot of times you write in the long run and, and it works its way out. The, um, the, there's another myth. If only we had Gedolim like we used to have. Um, I don't know people listening how old they are, but l- let me bring back some painful, uh, his, some some painful historical facts from the um, from the from the past that I remember, and from the past that I read about. Um, Rebaran Kotler and Moshe Feinstein were the Gdolim in America. They, Rebaran Kotler was one of the most despised people in America. 99.9% of the from American uh, uh, world despised him. He was blunt, he was sharp, he was unreasonable. He was trying to push an agenda that had no place in America. A full-time lawyer like the Shetland Europe, yeah. Um, r- r- there was an interview with Rev Schechter, from YU, Mishpacha, and he said something very fascinating about his Rebbe of Soloveitchik. He said one of the reasons our Soloveitchik pushed YU so strongly was he firmly believed that a, a, a European-style yeshiva would never make it in America. He certainly, it certainly spoke to him, that director, but he felt it was a fool's dream and you would end up pursuing it and getting no place. He was astounded when his late years he, he, he realized how how the Olmator had flourished in terms of numbers, he was overwhelmed by it. He didn't think it could happen. But but Rebaran Cutler was seen as unreasonable, demanding, cajoling, um, and and most of the time people slammed the doors in his face. 
he was they were they they called his um, they called it Cutlerism on par with Khomeinism. Uh, Khomeini wasn't there then, but it had the same flavor to it. So when someone says Bar Cutler will be here today, I have news. Ramesha Feinstein was seen by many as being highly ineffectual, highly, you know, he, he's, he, he was a tremendous Anav and Balchesed, and he didn't like to confront people and like to find the good in people, and people, you know, murmured. I remember people always talking about, he doesn't know what's going on around him, he's, 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 he's uh, not astute, he's, uh, you know, he's too nice, and snap. It wasn't as if people felt they had this powerful leadership. Now, yes, they're out if people look back, but it then it wasn't as if they were saying, wow, well, so fortunate we have these two Gdolim leading our generation. Um, let's go back one generation before that. Chavetz Chaim, wow, Chavetz Chaim is, of course, holy and above everything. There were, pl- there were, there were many articles published by a from public against the Chavetz Chaim. And let me enlighten you. Uh, and it was in, 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 um, in, in Vilna, there was no Rav in Vilna. There was there was a tradition, I guess, in the Goyen's time not to have Rabbanis. Um I'm not sure if it was because the Goyen was so big or because in his time they had sold Rabbanis. Uh, believe it or not, it's a historic fact, they sold Rabbanis. And there was this huge machlokas in town which ended up with the Goyen getting arrested. The reason why the Goyen got arrested had nothing to do with the Goyen, had to do with the Jews. There was this huge fight about his name was Ravigda, he was a Rav, and he bought his Rabbanis for for agreeing, I think it was like 20 years to pay the city taxes for everybody, and he was a fine person. But there was a machlokas and the din Torah and another din Torah, and it blew up. So I think from then on, they didn't have a rav. Be it as it may, Reb Chaim was definitely the biggest person in Vilna. And he was the de facto rav of, of Lithuanian Jewry and then, you know, literature Jewry all over. But there, was a, there were problems because the government needed a rav. So they had a very hush person named Rabbi Rubenstein, who was the government rav, and he was a very good person. He was a good person. He was more of a, today you would call him a, either a centrist or modern, depending on, on where you're coming from, and the Mizrahi wanted to inaugurate him as rav. It, they said, well, since you people feel there shouldn't be a rav, that's fine. We, you need a rav on day-to-day activities who assumes responsibilities, who runs the town, and uh, we want him in. The Chavetz Chaim was the Chavetz Chaim held over Reb as the God Lador. Uh, Chavetz Chaim's res- respect for Reb was beyond belief. I mean, he he would, you know, when when Reb came to his house once, he stood a half hour outside and waited from brushing his coat off. Reb Chaim by him, and Chavetz Chaim was vehemently uh, was vehement that this is a pegia in the um, in, in the godless in, in his stature in his in his position, and came out very sharply against it. That, you know, and, well, um, Mizrahi came out with very strong articles against Chavot Chaim. That, take a look, the person who wrote, who wrote Svarim against Lashon Hara himself is guilty of Lashon Hara and Machlokas and all these things. Um, they didn't say, wow, Chavot Chaim said, we're folding our flags and going back. They said, you know, and uh, as usual, they, they, they said that the Chavot Chaim's, uh, the, the people around the Chavot Chaim misled him. Um, but no, th- there was never a generation I have news for you. Moshe Rabbeinu was Moshe Rabbeinu today. Moshe Rabbeinu, his generation was open. If if you read, if you, if you read the Torah, um, there was a yid named Korach who said that he was guilty of nepotism. And how can you say he's not guilty of nepotism? His brother's a kain gadol. You know, he, he, his whole family gets jobs, top jobs. 
Um, Dasha Viram said, said that he's a maniac. I mean, he talks about him at Shaim, that's great. But, but, but now we're just drifting. For 40 years we're drifting. I, I mean, like, like, where are we going to? If this, you know, like, like he's, he's, take, he's taking us to no place. We've got a plan. In two weeks we're there. Or we could sell them at Shaim and do well. <laughs> I mean, now we, we, we're drilled in, as little kids. But, but remember that it never, ever was, it never was a time when people could look back, when people in that generation were so overwhelmed by this, so on and so forth. Um, there's an, there is one, and this I think we spoke about last time more, and, but I, I'd like to just um, maybe clarify the drop so that, so that um, maybe somebody will be able to do something about it. The real issue is, why don't the Dolem do anything about X, Y, or Z? Well, the first issue is the mandate. Um, nobody has a card that says, I'm a goddle. Yes, you have something about the Torah of uh, a good, and then you have a bottom of towns. But you don't have, so let's say, um, let's say I'm a Rav in Mokum X, and I hear about a scandal in Mokum Y. Somebody was molested, somebody was robbed, somebody did something X, Y, Z bad. Under what basis do I mix in? L- like, who made me in charge of mixing in? Um, it's a real issue. You have, when you have a clear community, a chassidish community, Ger. So Ger has a very clear hierarchy of command, and anything that happens in, in Ger falls under the Rebbe's auspices and or the Bezdin or whatever communal structure they have. If you have a smaller community, a community like in Baltimore, where you have a Vadarabonim, Many affairs will go there and will 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 uh, become part of it. Um, the uh, um, but but the real problem is Baruch Hashem we've grown so big so diverse that there's no very few people have a mandate to mix into issues. You can try to do something good, but you can't mix into issues really that you don't have a mandate. So a a lack of mandate. B there's no infrastructure for sitting down and listening to something. In, in, in La Havdal, in Congress, they, when let's say they want to investigate, I don't know, is marijuana, health benefits, overweight, it's, um, it's, it's, it's problems, it's addiction problems. They can sit down as a committee, they can call the experts, they can call witnesses, they can put out a thing that anybody who has, um, has something to say should come. And there's a reasonable sense of having gone through the Indian. But there's no infrastructure for that. There's not even an office space to sit down. There's, there's no way to call people. It, 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 if there were to be an effective administrative tool where, uh, where, where, where there's an infrastructure, if we want to deal with the issue of molestation, we want to deal with the issue of, of schools X, Y, or Z, that we can get together a clear group of people who have knowledge or expertise in the field. We can gather in experts, and the people gathering experts don't have an agenda previously, but rather they are um, really objective. They want to get all the information. And we, we call it all the information and listen to both sides. And then the next point is to what's called Oymid Laminion, where you um, take a vote, and the halachas you start from the cotton. Um, that would be an appropriate way to deal with things. So you have community structure. You have a clear body of people responsible. Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Bel, Hei, Vav, Zion, Ches, and Tes are responsible for communal affairs that are Zion to the ear. 
and Dolly uh, Rabbanim, an issue comes up, they're able to summon experts, they're able to bring in people from both sides, the pros and cons, listen to all of it, debate it, um, and, uh, and then come up with a takana that is enforced because they have the community. What happens, in fact, is almost the opposite process. The person, a person, sincerely, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about an issue, somebody feels very badly about what goes on at these concerts. Okay? This person may be an emissary over Hashem, and, a, and, and, a, and an astute person. This person may be a nut. This person may happen to hate this particular singer and have something against him. Or this person may be misguided. All of the above. He feels very strongly about it, and he gets the air of a big person. Then you go to two dozen small people and say, this big person said you should sign. And everybody signs on, and it's a big balagan. And then they find out the facts. Are yes, true, not true. He said, they said, I didn't say... It's, it's unfortunately a circus, but the circus lies in the apparatus. Um, it's not the way it should be done. Um, you know, th- there should be a, a chance. Let's take, again, let's take a singer with a concert. There's r- again, there's room. There are issues there. So when an issue like is brought, there should be a clear firm. Who are the people that deal with these things? It's not ad hoc. Every issue has a dozen different signatories. And there's another problem also. Let's say... Let's say 25 people sign against using cell phones. Now, if you're the 26th person, you think, let's say your position is follows, which is reasonable, that you don't like cell phones either. You think they, they open up a Pandora's box of issues, they distract, they waste the time, uh, texting, this, that, or the other. Let's, nobody thinks it's good. But then the pressure is, so what are you going to say? You're going to come out with a statement that you think cell phones are good? You don't think they're good. Um, do you want people to use you and say, well, so-and-so didn't sign it, so that means he thinks cell phones are very good. I, I, you're then left in a position, if you're not against it with the same force that the main body of people are against it, then you're, in a, in a sense, um, saying it's good. You're going to be used that way whether you like it or not. Is that what you want to do? Uh, in one of the other petitions... Uh, one of the other many circuses that, that happened, uh, many people came out against something, a certain issue, and um, a few Godon did not come out against the person because they felt that it was too, that, that, the, that the, the wording was too strong and was not appropriate. But then when, when they were used to say they agree with him, they came out against it also. Because there's no there's no neutral position in these things, uh, you know. If it, it's everybody's medayik from a hashmata. If your name is not there, either you've been kicked out of the club, or you're in disagreement and you hold the opposite. The, 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 you may hold one shade less. In my memory, when Rav Goren came out with the psak against uh, uh, for the mamzerim, you know, being matter mamzerim Israel, the gedolim came out very strong against it, but. There was one Nusach signed in Bnei Brak, signed by the Stipan of Shach, and one Nusach in Yerushalayim signed by Reb Chaim, Gerebe, and Reb Hasabramsky. There was a marked difference in the style of, the, the, of, of those notices. And there was a reason for it. The, 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 the Gdomishayim felt that the, that the Bnei Brak version was too strong, wasn't appropriate, and, um, you know, and valid disagreements. So the real issue is, a good may have served, may have been able to have been that, but it's not that anymore. It, it's, it's a very loose organization, 
and you run into a lot of issues of mandate and and like we spoke last time the broader the group the broader the base that you represent the less effective you are as a federation our goodness is 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 voluntary they, it's not a kahila that runs the community it's a community comes together as a gooder so the bigger it is the less and less and less effective can be there's one more point that I want to raise about it um, I guess two more points um, when people speak that you can't they say okay the Gdolim are not good as leadership so the alternative is what the bloggers association of America anyone who writes a blog with at least three blogs a week joint make decision where does the leadership go to is it is it the head of Jewish Federation? I mean, let's let's take the point of you don't like the dollar. Okay, so who is it? The assistant executive vice president of the RCA? Like like which bureaucracy is going to run it? Yes. What about local leadership? Well, that begs the question. Um, in very few places is there something called local leadership. A rub of a particular shul may be a great speaker, may be a sweetheart, and nothing says that he is or could be a leader. He could or could not be. So let's say there's a molestation in a certain school. And now the issue is, um, what should we do? Should we go to the police? Should we... Now, appropriately, there would be, if it's a local community of the size that allows for rabbinic leadership, or, or, or the question is, who are the leadership if not the rabbinic? Do we do we have old school principles? Not not clear to me that they're the most fit. Do do we have who? I mean, the social services. Um, social services can deal with particular issues and they're knowledgeable. But but when you make a community issue, um, you have to take a lot of things into in, in, into account. And and um, a social worker is very good at treating people who are abused. They may be good at discerning was their abuse. They may it, it, they should be involved and used. But once again, when we're talking about leadership, what's the alternative leadership? Who the editors of newspapers, the people who write columns? Uh, you know, who are those leaders? And do we elect presidents? I mean, do, do, you know, it's a joke. Jewish organizations are run by very nice people, but I doubt what what's called leadership is really a euphemism for people who give a lot of money for organizations. That when somebody is a great leader, it meant he gave a lot of money, and we all know that. Um, and smart executive directors make them feel that they're actually leading but no, nobody the, the heads of the American Council of Presidents and the and the uh, Nebrith Lodges and the and the um, 1001 other Jewish organizations they do good things they're nice people but leadership in any sense that they're uh, measured so on I mean what, what should be what should who should be the leaders and what should be the format we still don't have an answer for that and certainly as a Torah Sibur, we want to do the Torah. It's just we need a format of literature which we don't have. One more thing that I'd like, another point I'd like to make. Um, there is a certain mob instinct, and there's a certain American um, a, 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 a sort of axiom that publicity is fantastic. If somebody did X or Y or Z, he should be in all the papers, all the blogs, and everybody should know about it, transparency, and so on and so forth. Um, the, um, like I mentioned last week, Volber writes that slogans 
and, and one-sided positions are the property of the Hamonam. Um, things done quietly and secretly and so on have a tendency not to be done. Unfortunately, there are times you swept under the rug, especially if there's no direct responsibility and there's a lot bad to it. And it's right. The things that are not public, but is going public appropriate always, many times. For instance, um, Stadlon is, when, when, the government, when the government does something that is not good for Klai Yisrael, um, not good for Israel, is, 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 is writing all over the place about it the right way to go about it? The answer is many times not. It's not comfortable. For instance, let's take an example. Um, how comfortable is it for an American president to have taken a position to have been assailed in, 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 in the Jewish uh, weeklies, Limineham, and then changing his position so that it's very clear that he's kind of giving in to Jewish pressure? And how much easier for him is to make a kind of quiet shift when things are quiet and, and fine-tune his positions a little differently. Um, it's definitely more effective if it's quiet. Is it always done quiet? Is it? No. It, but there's a, the, let's say somebody is, let, sorry? Well, I mean, Rebbe, isn't part of it that that's how you get the things to change by publicizing it? Sometimes yes, sometimes not. Sometimes it has bad effects. For instance, let's say somebody is suspect of molestation. A, is it, we don't know for sure. How appropriate is it to publicize it and to take the risk on the one hand of, and it's, it's happened, uh, you know, killing somebody for good when he's innocent, um, when it's some, or um, the other side, letting somebody go and keep molesting and because he's smart enough to be on the radar screen. How smart is it um, to talk about things when we talk about all the people who stole money and got away with it, stole money and are in jail, it creates two things. It, it, so on the one hand, yes, we, we, we see how terrible it is, and there's just another effect. The other effect is, listen, if you want to make money, you're going to have to sit five years in jail. Um, that's what it is. Listen, A, B, C, D, and E, done it. It's, it's, it's okay. When, when you hear about enough things done wrong, then your sense is, well, everybody in business is stealing. And obviously, if, if I heard five big names of people, it's very, very not clear. Instinctively, we'd like to hang him. But as we talk about it, as we publicize it, as we there's, a, there's a hint of glory to it. Um, there's a hint of gloating in it. It's very hard. It, it's, the, the problem is there's a genuine two horns of a dilemma in a culture of quiet secrecy sweeping under the rug, everything gets swept under the rug, and we condone what we ought not to condone, and we let terrible things happen. But just like publicizing suicides, on the one hand, we need to know about suicides. We need to know people suffer depressions that, God forbid, lead to the worst. On the other hand, you know, it's, 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 the, it's, a, it's a statistic that the more you read about it, it becomes kind of acceptable. Um, let's say affairs. Let's say let's say there are all sorts of affairs of men and women. Publicizing it, on the one hand, it will could serve as a deterrent. On the other hand, you say, listen, 
that's natural human behavior. The question is only who got caught, but if five chasher people are involved in it, this must be the right. This must be the way things are. I don't know. I, I, I just, um, I just want to 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 say that there are, and also there's a certain voyeuristic instinct. Oh, did you like this? Is like this person? He, he, you know, he's running around with women. He's stealing money. Da, 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 da. It, it, it creates a certain should a from newspaper. What do, what do we do if, if I'm a from newspaper, and somebody is caught in, in, in all sorts of affairs that are let's say not toric, <laughs> and do, do I write it up in the paper? Do, do, what do I do here? And I, I don't know an answer. I just want to point out it's not simple. What you can do on a blog by somebody who's got no reins. And do you want, I mean, those blogs that quote-unquote expose the truth, um, would you like your kids sitting and reading those blogs? The tone of it, they're always bitter, cynical, holier than thou, because if everybody is a, a thief, then I'm a fine person, even though I'm, I'm not doing very much in my life, except for blogging. Um, and and, and it, these people, when you live in a culture that everybody's a thief, then your conclusion is not that I have to mechazik myself with Shemir as a mominist, but I'm a great tzaddik. That's the culture that comes out, and it's very important to understand that. When you, you want your children not to be naive, you want them to understand the word, you don't want them to live off the National Enquirer. Um, even if the National Enquirer is true, um, but it, 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 the true of it, quote-unquote, is the one hundredth of one percent sickness in society, and if you read it day in day out, that that's your window to the world. Then th- th- then your picture is of of a sick society, and eventually it doesn't it doesn't uh, spur you to do better. A lot of times it spurs you to do worse. Yes, Pinchas. Like desensitization. Yes, desensitization, and it's and it's it's a real dilemma. I don't know the answer. I just want to present it. It's something that I think about a lot, and puzzle. And, and I would hope that you, you puzzle also. Okay.